Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the Mental Models Podcast. We would like you to continue to support us and uh, our efforts here and show us that uh, you do appreciate uh, the information that we share. Uh, and you can do so by buying our book, Understanding Behavioral Bias. It's available on Amazon. And, and if you do buy it, uh, what would really help us out is if you could leave a review. It's available in paperback copy and on Kindle. Both are pretty good value, and we think that uh, you can really explore some of the topics that we touch on here in greater depth. Thank you very much, and we hope you continue to enjoy the Mental Models podcast. Well, here we are now in July of uh, 2020, and we're still living through the COVID virus crisis, and we've seen some interesting developments in the stock market, and there have been some uh, different issues, uh, you know, different stocks or companies that uh, have some interesting dynamics associated with them that we thought we would talk about in a, in a series of a couple of these uh, podcasts. Right. So today we'll be covering Disney, which is, uh, of course, world famous company that has all manner of industries that are linked to it that are all being affected in some way by COVID-19. They're varying. And uh, this is kind of a timely topic because Disney World in Orlando just opened. And that's been the source of a lot of news. July 4th, the musical Hamilton's uh, streamed on Disney Plus, creating a big resurgence in Disney Plus interest. Yes, I think they had 750,000 new subscribers that signed up just before the Hamilton stream. And what's amazing about that Hamilton production was that uh, if you think about the theater industry, it is just completely dead. There's not any live theater really going on. And uh, what a time to try to create some buzz around theater by doing the Hamilton production. Yes. And Disney actually does have some theater operations that are very active. Most people don't aren't, aren't aware about that. Uh, but if you think about Disney and we think about Disney's different businesses, uh, they have the theme parks, which, of course, are affected by the virus crisis because people are concerned about social distancing and being, you know, having large clusters of people, long lines and things of that nature where people get very close to each other and can be more exposed to uh, possible uh, contagion. And then if you think about uh, their another large part of their business is ESPN, which is predicated on. Uh, basically sporting events, which is another occasion where people get very close together and cluster. Uh, and then finally, uh, their movie business. Right. And I, ESPN, I, I just feel like the way that sports talk has moved so much is about the talk. They may be okay in some ways because uh, they can speculate so much. And so much of sports talk radio and shows and broadcasting is all about just speculating about what will happen. It's obviously less rewarding that you can't actually see outcomes of games, but you can speculate all day about players' contracts and how the season will look. And uh, that's in one, in some ways, um, the talk piece of sports talk is probably helping to save that area for, for right now. Well, it, it has come under a fair amount of pressure because sporting events are important, you know, to have actually something to talk about 
beyond just you know, it does help yeah and uh, how different games were executed and things of that nature but then also you know if you think about the third leg of their school the, the stool the movie business obviously people aren't going to theaters either so if you think about disney disney's entire business uh, and they even have a cruise they have a cruise business uh, if you've ever been on a disney Gosh, cruise right every area most affected other than an airline yeah, they, they don't have an airline, but, uh, you know, maybe they should add one just so it's the perfect uh, exposure to COVID. The stock has actually held up pretty well. Before all of this started, uh, it was around $150 a share. Uh, at, at the very bottom, I want to say it got down to either $90 or $85 a share. Uh, but uh, it has since recovered and now trades at about 120 uh, dollars a share, maybe a little bit less than that. Now, if you think about this uh, from the standpoint of the value of the business, uh, COVID has a very significant impact. You know, supposedly just on the parks alone, since COVID started, they've lost over a billion dollars worth of losses. And the parks are so lucrative. Uh, yeah. We had an occasion to go to Disneyland uh, just before all of this hit uh, in December around Christmas and it was uh, it was magnificent. It was, you know, all decked out and it just reminded me how successful this park is because just even eating lunch was such an ordeal to try to wait to get a, a seat because it was just so populated and so uh, successful. They also were just about to open the new Star Wars area of that park. And I was pleasantly surprised to realize we could actually walk through it. I thought it actually was closed in December. It wasn't officially open yet, but it was spectacular. The scenery, the uh, authenticity, the the way the employees were trained, they're really going full bore on that top-notch kind of um, escapism where you're just like in another area. So that was undoubtedly part of their challenge was that they were riding such a high with that new unveiling for that part. It's, it's interesting. Disney is obviously a very powerful brand and you can think of a lot of their products. It, you know, it could be viewed as a Peter Lynch type stock where you can see that a lot of people are huge fans of the Star Wars series or uh, Disney princesses or Marvel. These are all huge franchises that they have. Uh, of course, the parks and sports. And now they have Disney Plus, which is kind of the castle in the sky. It's not a profitable business, but it's one that's growing quite rapidly. And where people can extrapolate that is creating a lot of value in the future. Disney has a very deep book of content that they've developed you know, you know, over the last hundred years or more that is still protected by copyright that they can exclusively provide on Disney Plus, making them a more viable competitor to Netflix uh, because they don't have the issue of having to go and build all of their content from the ground up. They have a lot of legacy content that they can provide in addition to uh, the incremental content that they add specifically for Disney Plus. Right. And when you talk about that content, you think uh, the Star Wars acquisition, which cost them an absolute fortune. But what a brilliant move that was to be uh, having access to those characters and those movies and um, raising uh, two boys. I mean, Star Wars was just ever present. And uh, those movies were, were just so successful even though there's a hugely split audience on what they thought of them, 
The fact is everyone saw them and is talking about them. And likewise with Disney princesses and Frozen, that's that's also just a massive uh, industry for children. So Bob Iger was uh, basically the architect of uh, the, the move to acquire Marvel, the move to acquire uh, Star Wars, both of which were pretty controversial at the time. When they acquired, when they acquired Marvel, uh, no, Mar- Marvel no longer had the rights to make Spider-Man or the X-Men or Fantastic Four. All of those had been sold uh, to be able to basically keep Marvel afloat. And so you had kind of these cats and dog characters that were less popular, like the Avengers. Now the Avengers, of course, is huge, and everybody has a tremendous investment in the characters that were developed because of the Disney uh, effort. But before, those were kind of also ran comic book characters. The, the more popular ones, the ones that generated more revenue for Marvel, uh, were these other spinoffs. But Iger had the vision that there was so much storytelling associated with these that would create huge content for them to go on for a very long time. And they were even to be able to take Guardians of the Galaxy, which was completely obscure, uh, and turn that into a huge franchise. Yeah, and I finally figured out who Captain Marvel is. A couple of years ago when they did that movie, that was one of those where, you know, I, I think during my childhood, I'd heard rumors there might be a Captain Marvel and I wasn't a huge comic book fan. I knew of some of those characters, but uh, they have absolutely come to life with those uh, series. And then for Disney Plus, you'd imagine into the future, having rights to all that content is is going to be huge. So one thing that's interesting about all of this is uh, you would think that Disney would have been a tremendously successful stock over the last five years. Uh, or so, but it really hasn't. It's really massively underperformed the S&P 500. Uh, It has uh, been uh, a real laggard, but that's largely due to the fact that so much of their business uh, and their profitability from the past stemmed from cable television. Uh, They they had the Disney Channel, of course they had ESPN, which was huge, and uh, the ABC Network. And a lot of their profitability was pretty much under pressure because as cable, you know, people switched off and went to more to streaming, that particular portion of their business really stagnated and has been uh, somewhat of an albatross for them. Now, the stock has still gone up over the last several years, but it's just significantly underperformed. And only recently, prior to the COVID crisis, uh, did it catch a significant amount of renewed interest. And that largely stemmed from uh, Disney Plus and the promise that Disney Plus provided by being able to take these catalogs of the Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies, and all of the Disney princesses and uh, the Disney library and offering it in one place for a monthly subscription. And that's what uh, people refer to as content, isn't it? It's, it's both you have to have the content and then the delivery mechanism because they have such a deep content library and they've been really smart about acquiring massively valuable properties that are going to keep paying off into the future. They have, uh, you know, just getting the distribution correct will really be a game changer for them. I'm reminded of the Mandalorian series that they launched with Disney Plus, and I think most of us got it exclusively for that series. Yes, and they should have uh, more that will come out down the line. I don't know if it's now going to be delayed because of uh, the issues associated with producing things right now because of COVID. You know, that kind of sets the background of Disney and its business 
but what we should also focus on is, of course, how it's traded and the psychology associated with it uh, ever since the, the breakout of the virus crisis. Yeah. Now, some of the psychological challenges have to go back to the parks. You know, when I think about the experience of going to a Disney hotel or a park, um, or you think about the Disney cruise line, it's it just impossible to social distance, right? And, and you just imagine uh, if you had to think of the most crowded section, come up with Disney, the, the visions of what it's like being crowds at Disney and in lines at Disney. So it'll, it'll be uh, interesting to watch how the park opening unfolds. It's clearly hugely underpopulated relative to normal times, but it will remain probably a, a challenge for them going into the future. Yeah. So when we think about uh, Disney and the profitability, particularly in Orlando, a lot of it comes from the hotels. And uh, right now, if you look at the tri-state area that's around uh, Florida, if you come from Florida, you have to be in quarantine uh, leaving there. And so many of the people that go to Orlando are coming from other states. So uh, it will be a challenge uh, and interesting to see how that develops. But it's interesting to think about how the stock traded throughout the virus crisis. Initially, it did sell off. Bob Eidger, interestingly enough, very early on in the crisis, announced his retirement immediately uh, when the stock was at about 125. I think that was a pretty significant sign that uh, at least from his perspective, this could be a very difficult time for Disney to be able to transition. A lot of times CEOs want to be able to preserve their track record uh, at, you know, based off the performance of the stock during their tenure. So uh, we'd actually been involved with uh, Disney at Saber Point, and we reduced our position pretty significantly when Iger left. We should have taken it all off at the time. Now, mind you, it has recovered that was not a foregone conclusion uh, after having sold off to around $85 a share. Uh, and I think what happened and what has happened, and you've seen this reflected throughout the virus crisis, is that people have memories associated with uh, the 2008-2009 crisis. And a lot of people didn't participate in the recovery and they, they really didn't believe in it. And they say, you know, so you've had this move in the, S&P 500 from a low of 666 uh, in March of 2009 to uh, a high of somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 3,300. So, you know, a pretty significant uh, move in the stock market uh, off of the, the low that a lot of people didn't participate in because they were concerned in the last crisis. So, I think when you saw the initial dip and uh, that occurred uh, in the virus crisis, you had a lot of people, and I, I had received a number of calls from different uh, non-professional investors who are friends of mine who asked what they should buy you know, in the depths of the drawdown in March. Now, and if they did buy, they probably did exceptionally well because the market has actually gone up about 40% off the lows. And Disney has participated in that move. But it doesn't change the fact that Disney, Disney's businesses are impaired by this. Disney has a decent amount of leverage. Um, and the question is, is how long does it go on? A lot of people have the insight to say, well, this is, this is going to be temporary. It's not going to go on forever. And ultimately, uh, should companies survive, those survivors 
will be stronger than they were before because typically what happens when you have a drawdown like we've seen, companies also consider where they have excess costs and they become more efficient. Uh, They uh, streamline their operations. And then, of course, other competitors, uh, like you could think of possibly SeaWorld or Six Flags, they may not make it. Some of those may actually uh, go through a bankruptcy process and be really disrupted, which could inure to the benefit of Disney. So it's interesting, you know, the old Chinese saying uh, that, you know, the the symbol for crisis is also the symbol for opportunity in in China, uh, the Chinese character. I I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I hadn't. Yeah, that's that's an interesting symbolism, isn't it? Yeah, well, it actually happens to be quite the case. Uh, So here for Disney, perhaps this is a good opportunity, but you also have to think whether people's enthusiasm has maybe been a little bit more uh, aggressive than the actual reality associated with the troubles that they face. Because a lot of people, when they would talk to me about Disney, would focus on Disney Plus and how, oh, well, they're actually a beneficiary of the lockdown because more people will watch streaming. Well, if you watch more streaming and you have a subscription, Disney doesn't actually make more money. Right. If you have a subscription and you don't watch it, they get they make the same amount. Yeah, I guess it just builds more dependency on it into the future. It, it, it could build more habit forming. And it could also be that there are some people that add uh, incremental streaming because they want more variety because they're doing more of it. And I'm sure that they've been a beneficiary of that to some extent. It's really not a profit center for Disney at this point in time. But it probably is helpful perceptually for them, right? If, if somebody was going to exactly. get into streaming, they, they did it at a time before this hit. And kind of the promise of Disney Plus is often what what people are perceiving. It may not be the profit engine right now, but uh, gosh, you think of just how much the world is going to streaming in the future. It's, it's a very good business to bet on. So the question is... Uh, how long does the virus crisis last if uh, there, there will be a point in time where there may be too much strain put on Disney if this goes on for, say, another year? Uh, but if it is the case that by the time we get into this time next year that everything is cleared up, uh, then the skepticism surrounding the stock probably uh, dissipates and we could see them be in a much stronger position from a profitability standpoint because when times get tough, you do reduce costs, you do become more efficient, and there tends to be during the good times a certain lackness, a laxness that builds within businesses. They don't run, for instance, if you're looking at some weaker performers among uh, employees, you're a lot less likely to terminate them if it's not necessary. It's a very unpleasant situation. Somebody's losing their job, and of course, it's it's difficult, but. Uh, in a lot of cases, that's probably the best move for the business. And those things can be overlooked during periods of abundance. But when things get tight, then uh, the weaker performers will be removed from the business and you'll be left with your higher performers and it'll be a more lean operating structure that is more profitable in a recovery. Yeah. And it's such a diversified business and they've you have to give them a lot of credit for going after uh, ideas that are going to be successful in the future, right? They're not a business that stayed at theme parks. And so they have that ability to kind of move move around in their different areas, most of which have had some 
impact. But they're also set up in a way to be really successful in the future. So you imagine a time when the concerns about COVID-19 are over, you could just the rush on trying to go to Disney parks and just the, you know, people putting that off this summer to try to do it in the future. You could imagine like the ticket prices they could command, you know, once society's kind of fully back up and, and moving. And then also the brand strength is just another part of this that occurs to me. Um, unlike a lot of other brands, you know, the mouse ears and the history and, and Walt Disney himself and all these movies and, you know, real links to people's autobiographical memories, right? So just your childhood you just think of Disney and it, just this this notion of it's been with you all your life. You know, that's an immense brand strength. And then they've acquired other brands. I think they've been very savvy about acquiring things like Marvel and Star Wars, where those are also iconic childhood type brands that will have an, an immense future. Because if you're nostalgic about it, you will show it to your kids and it just becomes this kind of self-perpetuating cycle. And they have all that going for it. Absolutely. You know, if you think about in this world where it's more difficult, I think, to create brand and to you don't have people watching television where they're forced to watch commercials all the time. You can remember the Coca-Cola commercials, which used to really connect people to Coca-Cola as being uh, associated with all the wonderful things that they would put in their commercials. And you'd have that mind share that created brand, which I think has probably been weakened significantly. But with Disney, because they're associated with the actual entertainment, not the commercial, but the show that you're watching. And people recognize Disney as being behind that. Uh, I think, you know, and it's more of an experiential brand building exercise. They do have that durable mind share that's not necessarily pro uh, present among other companies. Yeah, no, fascinating company. Uh, it'll be quite interesting to watch how things proceed going forward. Yeah, I would suspect that Disney is probably a reasonable investment uh, should you get a significant drawdown from this point. Um, and I could, I could absolutely be wrong. But my suspicion is, is given the availability of credit and the Fed's uh, willingness to provide financing, that Disney will be able to have access to the bond market to be able to make it through this troubling time. And when we get out to the other side, uh, everybody's going to be so sick of staying at home that uh, you'll see a really significant increase in attendance of the parks uh, and uh, some pent up demand mixed with a leaner cost structure, which could prove to be uh, very profitable. Plus, you'll be a year further along in the development of Disney Plus. All these things seem pretty favorable. Sounds interesting. We'll keep an eye on it. Talk to you again soon. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a job. Please subscribe and like Mental Models Podcast. The five-starred book, Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision-Making, is available through Amazon. This book will help you overcome the biases that are keeping you from investing success. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.